Welcome to the Grace College Podcast, a ministry of Grace Bible Church located in College Station, Texas. We desire to impact students who will impact the world for Christ. Hope you enjoy the talk and hang around for more after. Boyfriends? That I will not <laughs> have any boyfriends. Say it. Say I will not have any boyfriends. I just want to look at them though. <laughs> Who gave you that ring? What's your boyfriend's name? <laughs> no, you're not allowed to have boyfriends. Can you stand up, please? No, you do not have a boyfriend right now. You, do. you can have a friend who's a boy. Man, it just takes you back, huh? To yesterday with the roommates and just <laughs> hanging out. Man, the reality is that many of us, we want to get married one day, right? Well, many of us share that desire, but to get there, we need a fiance, right? That's generally how that works. Uh, so uh, to get to that point, though, we know that we need a boyfriend or we need a girlfriend. And, and yet, despite this desire that many of us share for that final destination, that final arrival at marriage, this lifelong commitment with a companion who will know us and love us, despite that desire, many of us are finding ourselves way back here at step one, waiting for that person to show up, waiting for an opportunity just to go on that first date. And honestly, I was surprised to find out how many of us actually are at this point and how many of us actually desire that end point. Thanks to your honest feedback. Man, thanks to you, and I, I cannot say enough how appreciative I am for your honesty, for your willingness to share with us, I mean, just kind of about where you're coming from and where you're headed. Thanks to your responses last week, I have a better understanding of, of where you're at. Thanks to your honesty last week, last week we had about 950 people in the room. We had about 850 of you fill out the survey, which is so helpful. And I got to learn, for example, uh, that 21 of us are absolute monsters. <laughs> 21 of us. I hope and pray that some of that was just ironic decision-making, but 21 of us chose birds. Birds. They're just like little dinosaurs that stuck around. You know that, right? Like they, gosh, you make me, you make my heart sad. Uh, but I also learned that 99% of us, 99% of us desire marriage. 99% blowing just the national averages out of the water. 99% of us desire marriage. And I also learned that about a third of us are currently dating someone who might be the one, right? I found out that just over a third of us are actually dating. There's a few of us that are engaged. So there's actually almost a, about a third of the room are actually in a relationship with that person. They're thinking, hey, maybe this is it. Maybe we're gonna, you know, we're gonna see how it's going. If you're engaged, hopefully you're a little bit more certain, uh, uh, you never know, but 
I discovered this. What this means is that uh, two-thirds of us are single. Two-thirds of us are still kind of looking. And, and when I say that, right, our response to that statistic, uh, some of us were like, that's right. There's kind of a dignified head nod of like, I am single and I love it. I'm great. Oh, you want to date? Okay. Some of us are, are okay with it and that's awesome. Uh, some of us, we hear that statistic and we're like, okay. And we start having new eyes on the room. We're like, all right. I like my odds, all right? They're in my favor. And then some of us, we hear that statistic, we hear about being single and we, we know maybe that Jacob's about to talk about singleness and it just makes us upset, right? And we really don't wanna be here. Something we're kind of thinking like, maybe I will leave, I don't know. Because some of us, we, maybe all of us, we have different responses to this relational status of singleness. Some of us are excited. Some of us are frustrated. Some of us are just, you know, pumped to, to get out there in the world. Some of us are yelling on the floor. And some of us just like, just want to look at them. You know, like some of us, we all respond in different ways. The relational status of singleness can stir up feelings anywhere from fear and frustration and anxiety all the way to, to contentment and relief, or even excitement. The reality is that we look at the exact same situation, and yet we respond in different ways. And I think a lot of that is because we're coming from the same desire, right? And 99% of us have the same desire to find the one. And that's a good desire, right? Last week, we talked about how that is a good desire that is given to us by God. It's pre-fall. God has built us, to, many of us, to have that desire to find our lifelong companion. And yet so many of us are still waiting for that desire to be fulfilled. Maybe without even any prospects and how to get there. So how do we respond to that? How do we live in the midst of a desire that remains unfulfilled? How do we live in the midst of an expectation that remains unmet? See, the Lord has designed all of us for community. Right? We all need people. And the Lord has designed most of us for companionship, to need a person. And so what we're doing over the next few weeks is we are looking at what are God's desires for our relationships and for our romance. As we look in scripture, we find that God has actually given us principles, right? From singleness to dating to marriage, God has provided principles for our pursuit of the one. And I'd encourage you, if there's anything that you wanna catch up on, or if you're gonna be missing a week here and there, next week we might even be out for a week because my, my son could be arriving like right now, literally. Uh, so, well, not really right now. I wouldn't be here, but he is imminent. So we might push pause on the relationships thing. Uh, but... If there's anything you want to get caught up on or if there's any information that you want to pass along, hopefully in like a kind and gentle way, not like a, you need to listen to this. Like there's hopefully an opportunity to pass along some of the stuff or maybe you're going to move into a different stage that you're not in right now and you're going to think, man, I'd love to remember, I'd love to have a resource that points me to what scripture says about these things. Then I would encourage you to check out our podcast, right? Something that we put together, we put time and energy into that we never really talk about. We realized that recently. We're like, we should like talk about this resource that we try to prepare for you. So if you have interest, you can find it on iTunes. You can go through our website and search like Grace Bible College, I think is the quickest way to get there. But if you have any interest in, in going back or, or in passing it along, know that this is a resource available for you as we move through this series. 
But today in particular, what we're doing is we're looking at singleness. Right? We're looking at this season, this, this time period, this, this, this moment before our desire leads us into dating, before we wind up at that end destination of marriage. I mean, we live, we will all live in the season of singleness and it can vary in both length and difficulty for different people. So what do we do in the midst of that season? In other words, as we long for a relationship, how do we live in singleness? All right, historically, we fall into two camps. As you look across cultures, I was a history major at AM. There's six of us and you better look out because <laughs> we know stuff about the world. And so we maybe know, they maybe know that as we look past across time and, and civilizations and cultures, the approach to singleness is, is basically in two camps. There's an Eastern way of thought that says that singleness is almost a curse because marriage, or sorry, that life does not actually begin until marriage. That's the classical Eastern way of thought, that life begins at marriage. In other words, marriage is the ultimate good. Marriage is where we all need to be. And anytime you have before marriage is just a frustrating holding pattern. Right? And some of us, whether it's conscious or subconscious, some of us, we fall into that. Some of us kind of use that approach in our lives for where everyone around us is dating and yet we're single. And so we just, we just drink, right? Like we just kind of try to dull ourselves because we're just, we're, we're sad, right? We're, we're frustrated. We're, we're a little bit bitter about the circumstances when all of our friends are getting engaged. And then... We're just sitting in the bottom left corner, in case you missed it, and we're just done with it, right? It's spring. Those ring passes are coming. I'm sorry for you that are in sororities, because this is gonna, this is gonna be hitting you. This is a thing. And, and as we are, are living in the midst of this, right, as we're living in the midst of singleness, and maybe we're not just the single one in our friend group, maybe we're the single one in our family, and when we go home and have this really lovely family photo session, the photographer actually makes us do this. So I would never hire that person ever again. But, you know, it's possible that we are ascribing to this way of thought, that we're walking in this approach and saying, you know what? Marriage is the ultimate good. It's the ultimate solution to these problems and these issues that I have. And, and we almost slip into it without knowing it. Some of us, we can't even imagine not being in a relationship or we cannot even remember what it's like to not be in at least a stage of a relationship. I had a buddy, a roommate like that in college. He was always in like some stage of some relationship at all times. And it was, it was oh, it was so stressful. It was stressful for the rest of us of just like trying to learn names. So eventually we set up a name policy. We said, you have to go on three dates before you even tell us her name because it's too much. It was, it was too much. And we would put our hearts out that we'd get attached and then she'd leave. And we'd be like, well, you know, so it's hard. It's hard. <laughs> like fostering puppies. It's hard. <laughs> so you find our, we find ourselves almost slipping into this of getting upset or we're bitter about it. We, we maybe find ourselves thinking that, again, maybe marriage is that solution. I've got these struggles. I've got these issues. I've got these insecurities. But man, if I could just get married, solve it. I would no longer struggle with that issue or that sin or that doubt or that fear or that anxiety. I no longer fear, fear uh, being, uh, you know, in, in not enough or insignificant. Suddenly, if I could just get married, if I could just be in that relationship, if I could just find that person, it's gonna solve everything that's wrong in my life. And I'm telling you, that approach is misguided. It's gonna create bitterness 
in your heart because it's not just something you can make happen. If you're constantly idolizing and lifting up this idea of marriage, you think this is the best thing and yet you don't have it year after year after year, failed relationship after failed relationship after failed relationship, you're gonna get bitter. I've seen it. You're gonna get upset. And honestly, all it's gonna do is it's gonna create impossible expectations for another person that's gonna drive divorce. That's what we see in our culture right now. People that ascribe to the Eastern way of thought say, you know what, if I could just have this person, if I could have this relationship, everything will be solved. And yet what happens is they are placing unfair expectations on this other person, this other broken person with struggles and insecurities and, and faults and failures. That's why when we look at divorces, when the Austin Institute looked at all these different divorces in our nation a few years ago, they were asking couples like, hey, what were the reasons? And they could list multiple reasons, right? There's, there's generally a list of reasons for divorce. And what they found was that after infidelity, okay, after uh, sleeping around or, or having affairs, that kind of thing, what they found was that the next three reasons, the top three reasons after infidelity were my spouse is unresponsive to my needs, that's 30%. I grew tired of trying to make a poor match work. It's another 30%. My spouse is too immature. Another 30%. Boom, boom, boom. Top three reasons after infidelity, this person is not being the person I want them to be. They're not meeting my needs. They're too immature. We're not compatible enough. In other words, this person is not meeting the expectations that I have for this relationship. They're not meeting the expectations that I've set for what this is supposed to accomplish in my life. The type of satisfaction I'm supposed to gain. And it's driving divorce. This Eastern way of thought, man, it, it leads to a bad place. So some of us, we say, well, yeah, yeah, I'm not, I'm not gonna fall into that trap or that lie. Instead, we ascribe to the Western way of thought where it's not that marriage is the beginning of life. They would say, it actually, life ends at marriage, right? That's kind of, <laughs> oh. You get the wedding, and you get the save the date, and you're like, oh, another one. You know, and you're just sad. <laughs> Poor Jim. You know, it just, it's happened. And we fall into this thought of like, oh, yeah, you know, when you get married, like, oh, that's when you're old and boring, right? You got the old ball and chain, this anchor, you know, and just weighing you down. And we think to ourselves, no, it's not that marriage is the ultimate good. It's that self-satisfaction is the ultimate good. And so all the time before marriage, what it is, is it's a time for complete self-focus. It's a time for complete self-indulgence. It's a time to essentially do this. Three words for you. Treat yourself. Treat yourself 2011. Once a year, Donna and I spend a day treating ourselves. What do we treat ourselves to? Clothes. Treat yourself. Fragrances. Treat yourself. Massages. Treat yourself. Mimosas. Treat yourself. Fine leather goods. Treat yourself. It's the best day of the year. The best day of the year! I really want this dress, and I like this crystal beetle, but it's expensive, and there's no use for it. Donna Meagle, treat yourself. Velvet slippies, cashmere socks, velvet pants, cashmere turtle. I'm a cashmere velvet candy cane. Treat yourself. This is insane. It's insane. It really is. <laughs> Spoken by a man who would buy a Batman suit later in the episode, but it's, it's true. It's insanity. And yet we find ourselves falling into this trap, falling into this mindset of thinking, you know what? The time before I get married, it's a time to just live my life. Be true to me. Find my bliss. 
I'm gonna chase my bliss. I'm gonna chase whatever makes me happy, whatever gives me fulfillment, whatever satisfies the yearnings of my soul. That's what I'm gonna chase. The world is gonna revolve around me. That's life before marriage. And we fall into this when we begin to maybe find ourselves not even able to imagine being in a relationship. Even as I talk about marriage being the end all, being the end destination, some of us, maybe there's parts of us that are like, yeah, I kind of want that. But at the same time, like, uh, like, I I don't want to be tied to some person. I want to have to serve and sacrifice. I don't want to have some person that I'm always like having to like text, like I'm coming home. Like, uh, like what? (laughs) Who wants that in their life? We are finding ourselves more and more often just giving into this idea that, you know what? Marriage is a useful tool but it's a conditional commitment based on the satisfaction that I receive from it. And that's why time after time after time, man, I've seen this. I'm I'm moving into the stage where I'm gonna have friends go through this, where people look at their marriage, they look at their spouse and they say, you're not meeting the needs that I want met. And you're not, you're just different. And, and you're not fulfilling me. And so you know what? This relationship just doesn't make sense. If I'm not getting what I need, then this relationship needs to end. If I'm not still happy, then I need to get out. That's the lie that we believe. That's the Western way of thought infiltrating our minds. And what it does is it leads us into this horrific prison from which it becomes harder and harder to escape, in which we become more and more blinded to reality, more and more blinded to what God has made us for. C.S. Lewis is a famous Christian thinker, writer, author, speaker. And what C.S. Lewis did is he wrote a lot of stuff. Some of us maybe read his Chronicles of Narnia, these great kid books uh, that are also aimed at an older audience to talk about all these Jesus analogies. And you see these people moving through and there's like sin, but it's not sin. It's like evil magic. And you just, you kind of see these things in Aslan and there's these different characters. Man, it's it's awesome. It's a fancy world. Maybe read as a kid, maybe read them recently, maybe seen the movies. Uh, But C.S. Lewis wrote a lot of other stuff. Some of us have read maybe other books on apologetics or on about the Christian life, on about sin and suffering and death and love. He's written about all kinds of stuff. But one of the things that he wrote about that we don't generally talk about uh, is he actually wrote in a letter to one of his friends, he, he wrote about the issue of using sexuality entirely selfishly. In other words, he wrote about masturbation. And he wrote this letter to a friend where he's talking about how masturbation, even in that time, right? Pre-internet, pre-home video, pre, like just even in that time, it was such an issue. And he was approaching it and talking to his friend saying, look, the real evil of masturbation would be that it takes an appetite, which is in its lawful use, it leads the individual out of himself to complete and correct his own personality in that of another. He says, look, ideally, our sexual appetites, what he's talking about, our sexual appetite, what it'll do is it moves us out of ourselves, right? It forces me to, to connect with another person to, to hear from them, to learn from them. And in that process, I'm refined. If it, that's what's so beautiful about sex, something we'll talk about in a couple weeks, but what's so beautiful is that sex in the proper context in a lifelong, committed, safe relationship. With the context of a marriage where two people have said, I, I'm committed to you 
and I'm vowing this in front of our friends, our family, and our maker. When sex is taking place in that context, man, it's life-giving. And it creates so much more than just a physical bond. It's emotional, it's spiritual, it's mental. It's, and it makes you better. It makes you better. But C.S. Lewis is pointing out, he says, man, when we take it out of that context, when we just use this self-indulgent sexuality, he says it turns that appetite back, twists it. It sends the man back into the prison of himself, there to keep a harem of imaginary brides. Among those shadowy brides, he's always adored. He's always the perfect lover. No demand is made on his unselfishness. And in the end, they become merely the medium through which he increasingly adores himself. And after all, almost the main work of life is to come out of ourselves, out of the little dark prison that we are all born into. But he says for men and for women, the people that are trapped in the self-indulgent sexuality, he says, you know what it does? It creates the danger of loving the prison. It says you can't get more twisted than that. And I'll tell you, we're gonna talk about sexuality, like I said, in a couple weeks, but this applies beyond just sexuality. This is just life in general. There are issues and struggles in your life that need other people. That's why we are forced to, to get to know other people and why we're forced to, to share and someone has to buy paper towels for the house. And we're like, I don't want to buy paper towels for the house. But somebody's got to. And I'll tell you, those are valuable skills that will make you better. It leads to a better life. A, a house with paper towels is so good. <laughs> Listen, taste and see and know it is good <laughs> to live in a house with paper towels. I live that life now. It's amazing. You need other people to sharpen you and refine you. And yet if we get wrapped up in these self-indulgent mindsets and lifestyles where we say, yeah, you know what? I'm gonna use sex the way I want it. And you know what? I'm gonna use my time and my money, my resources. I'm gonna use it the way that I want to. I'm just gonna go, I'm gonna treat myself. And that's gonna be the focus of my life. Maybe when I get married someday, I'll turn those things around. But I'll tell you, I pity the spouse who's gonna walk into that mess. Because if you are walking into that relationship fully focused on self, that's all you've done. That's the habit you've built. That's the lifestyle you've maintained. That's gonna be hard. That's gonna be real hard. It's not impossible to overcome. But it's incredibly difficult. And it can be avoided, right? It can be avoided. That's what Paul speaks into. That's what Paul points out for our culture. He says, you know what? You are being caught up maybe in these, in these wrong views of singleness and it's taking you to destructive places. In fact, we even in America, just looking at that self-indulgence, we're, we're moving into what uh, sociologists and researchers are calling the great crossover, meaning that, a few years ago, they found that the average age for a woman getting married for the first time is now actually higher than the average age for a woman having their first kid. And what they found is that a few years ago that actually we have 48% uh, of all first kids are born into an unwed mother. And so they're calling it the great, great crossover because they're saying we're reaching a tipping point in our society and our culture. It's been this upward trajectory that we're reaching this tipping point where the majority 
of kids born in America are going to be born into a non-married household. Maybe there's two people in the mix. Maybe it's just one. And what studies have shown, secular studies time and time again have shown, is that kids that are raised in environments without two loving, caring parents that are committed to the kid are committed to each other. Without that, they suffer. And their risk of, of addiction, of, of behavioral issues, of learning issues, of just uh, their risks of like every bad thing goes up. Okay, this is just, my older sister, is a, she's a, she has her PhD in developmental psychology and she did a lot of work. She did a lot of research in this sort of thing. She talks about it. It's just, it's just staggering to see the effects that, that two loving, caring, committed parents can have on a kid's life. And it's staggering to see the, the destruction that can happen when there's just one. Now, is it impossible to overcome that? Absolutely not. My younger sister is a single mom, has been for five years, ever since her husband walked out on her. You know what? The Lord can use that. The Lord can still work through that. You're not doomed. But it's difficult. And it's not best. And yet we are approaching a moment in our nation where that's going to be more the norm than otherwise. Because we're buying into this Western lie that I'm the center of the universe that my self-satisfaction, that my self-indulgence is what is paramount, is what's most important. And it's a lie. It's a lie. In fact, what we talked about last week was that, you know, we have these studies that have shown us that, you know, there are, actors, there are more people that are satisfied, right? This is a secular study. This isn't like, this wasn't made to prove marriage is great or to prove that God is the answer. This is a very secular study. They said, man, we find that these people are more highly satisfied with their lives when they're married. And this is a push against that Western thought, right? There's a higher satisfaction rate amongst married people than single or even those that are cohabitating, that are kind of committed to one another. It's a pushback against Western thought. It's also a pushback against Eastern because, you know, for the 52% of highly satisfied married guys, there's another 48% that aren't. Another 53% of women that aren't. So marriage is not the end all, be all. It's good, but it's not the end. So how do we approach singleness? I mean, how does scripture approach singleness? If society is approaching it from these wrong-headed ways that's leading to terrible destinations, I mean, what does scripture say? We see Paul speak into singleness in 1 Corinthians 7, but I just want us to know before we even get to that, he speaks, God speaks to just all believers everywhere in Ephesians 2. It's kind of a helpful reminder for just who we are. Regardless of what our relational status would be, this is our relationship with God. He says, look, you are a people who have been saved by grace through faith. He says, it's been by grace that you're saved through faith and it's not of yourselves, it's the gift of God and it's not from works, no one can boast. He says, look, you are only a child, you are saved, you have eternal salvation, you have eternal life, you can be lifted out of this destructive, broken existence only by faith, 
only by trusting in the work of Jesus Christ. You can't do anything to earn this. You can't do anything to secure this. You can't do anything to prove this. He says, this is what you're called to. You need to trust that Jesus Christ stepped out of heaven and onto earth to live and die and rise again for your sake. He lived the life that you could not live and he died the death that you deserved so that we would trust in him because he rose three days later, man. That tomb was empty. And when he did that, when he showed that, when he proved that, he says, you can trust in me. You can call on me. And when you believe in what I've said and in what I've done, he says, you don't have to flounder in death and destruction. God will lift you out of that death, out of that sin, out of that dissatisfaction, out of that discontentment. And he's gonna bring you to everlasting life and joy and peace and satisfaction. You can drink of the living water. He says, man, that's what God wants for you. And if you've trusted in Jesus Christ, this is where you are. You're not a child of wrath or of sin or of death. You're a child of the Lord most high. You're his son and you're his daughter and he loves you. He says, and you didn't do anything to earn that. He says, but I've saved you and I've called you out of that because I want you to do something with it. He says, you are his workmanship having been created in Christ Jesus for good works that God prepared beforehand so that we may do them. He says that you weren't saved by works, but now that you are saved, there is work to be done. And God desires and is calling us forward to move into that life, to move into those works, things that he has prepared beforehand for us to accomplish. He says, I want you to be a part of this mission, a part of this purpose. You're not just a saved people, you are a people of purpose. Which is honestly what we want. Right? We're designed to want this. If someone calls us in this day and age, if someone calls you, like physically calls you on your phone, there needs to be like a really good reason, right? Even me, like in this modern age, if someone calls me, I'm like, you need to like be on fire or something. Like, I, what are you doing? Why do I hear you and not just see cat faces? Like what's going on with this communication? We want there to be a purpose for our call, for our, our being selected, for our being moved forward. God says, I, I've given you a purpose. I've given you meaning. I've given you a mission. And this is what Paul's speaking into in 1 Corinthians 7. He says, look, if you're unmarried, or if you're a widow, I say it's best for them, it's best for you to remain as I am, meaning single. In other words, if you're single, you can stay single. But if they do not have self-control, let them get married. For it's better to marry than to burn with sexual desire. Now, I love this passage. I love this passage. This whole chapter is very rich. But this passage is so fun because it's something we don't generally memorize this at like VBS, right? <laughs> There's generally not like a felt board diagram of like how this works. Like we don't, we don't teach this to our kids, which I think is unfortunate because it's awesome. Because Paul is saying essentially, look, if you're single, you can stay single. But right before this, and he says in other places, if you're married, man, that's good as well. If we unpack this whole chapter, we'd see, he says, look, you're not sinning if you're single. You're also not sinning if you're married. He says, they're both good. They're both created by God. In fact, he calls them both gifts from the Lord. Whether you are married or whether you're single, you are living in the midst of a gift that God has given you. And this is very different. This is counter to the cultures uh, that we've looked at, right? The Eastern and Western, they, they always feel they need to pick one. It's like, no, this one's the best. 
And Rome did the same thing. At this time when Paul was speaking, there were multiple emperors who would put forth laws in Rome. They'd say, look, if you are single, if you're a widow, they had laws specifically for widows. They said, if you became a widow, you have two years to get remarried before you go to jail. You have two years. Tick tock. Why? Because they said that singleness is shameful. And if you're a single person, you're a drain on society. That's how they viewed single people. And yet when we look at the church in this time, they were loving widows. They were supporting widows. And they were caring for them. They're providing for them. They're saying essentially what Paul is saying of like, look, there's no pressure. I mean, you can stay single. God can still use that. In fact, that's the lifestyle that Paul himself adopted. It's the lifestyle that Jesus Christ himself adopted. Singleness. The church says singleness is good. Marriages as well. Why? Because they can both be used by God for his glory. Now, I say that singleness is good, and some of us are like, "Uh uh-huh, and then the vast majority of us are like, "Uh (laughs) uh-uh. Why? Because we say, no, 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 I'm I'm burning. Like, that's that's where I am. It's easy for us to put ourselves in that category, right? In in this term, I love this term. Uh, It's uh, pura'o. It's the root of it, and it literally means just to be on fire. Like, sometimes it carries a sexual connotation. You could also just say, like, oh, that house, it's, it's on fire, it's the same term. Paul's just like, there's gonna be some people, it's better for them to marry than just to be on fire. Which you're like, yeah, I agree with that. Like that's, <laughs> that's probably true. And it's easy for us to say, yeah, that's me. Like I am on fire. Jacob, I'm on fire. Okay, like that's, that's fair. I'll accept your call in that case. You can call my phone uh, because that's the only time that you can call me if you're on fire. But we, uh, we see this in Paul where he says, look, it's okay for these people to get married. In fact, it's beneficial for them to get married. But I want you to realize, people, as he's speaking to these single people, he says, I want you to know, single people, that when you get married, there are new difficulties. And this is what we read at the very beginning. Paul says, if you get married, stuff's gonna pop up. He says, and I'm telling you this stuff because I want you to be free from concern. Right? See, I'm trying to help your concerns, help your fears. He says, an unmarried man is concerned about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord, but a married man is concerned about the things of the world, how to please his wife. He's divided. It's the same thing for the woman. An unmarried woman, virgin, she's concerned about the things of the Lord to be holy, both in body and in spirit, but a married woman is concerned about the things of the world, specifically how to please her husband. Paul's saying very clearly, look, Marriage creates distraction. Marriage creates division in your heart's desires. It's gonna divide you. And that's something that we probably know. Right? And if you don't, you should know. Marriage divides your interest. Right? Some of you didn't even really hear me say that because you were busy. You are like, oh, marriage passes. And you, were, you highlighted it really carefully in your Bible and you were taking a picture of it for Instagram to be like, blessed. And you just want, because you're hoping that your potential boo will like see that and kind of get the hint and just kind of pick up on the holiness and be like, yeah, that's good. He cares about marriage. Mm. (laughs) Great. You know, that's awesome. But some of us were distracted, right? We're divided. Even as unmarried, we're saying, man, I'm distracted by these relationships, by the person that I kind of want to be with or the person that's kind of with me and I don't know what's going on with that. And man, it's, it's easy to forget, but, but marriage, it divides 
your interest. And it's dividing us because we have legitimate responsibilities, right? Don't, don't hear me say that it's wrong to be divided, right? These are, these are responsibilities. These are legitimate responsibilities that God has given to married people. God talks about it in first, or sorry, Paul talks about it in first Corinthians. He talks about it in Ephesians. He says, look, God has created a significant role for husbands and wives. Right? That's not a wrong thing. God has designed us to need to care for and, and help out and serve these people that we're attached to, the people that we marry. God wants the husband to serve. He wants the wife to serve. He wants them to sacrifice. He wants them to know the needs. He knows that, look, that a lot of marriage is just waiting in the car for your spouse, right? That's just a reality. God has given to us. God, man, this one, this one really gets me. God knows. God has designed it that at times you're just, you're just going to be listening to someone cough. And you know, it's something that I even say right now and you're like, okay, sure. And then like seven years from now, I'm telling you, seven years from now, you're gonna be lying in bed in the middle of the night. You're gonna say, oh my Lord, it's true. And you're gonna take a little pill and you're gonna be like, quiet! And you're just gonna try to shut it out because it's a nightmare. But God has designed marriage to be this relationship where you are serving and caring for one another, right? The, the interest that is being given to your spouse is a good thing that God calls us to. But it's still a distraction, right? It still is a division nonetheless. Not to mention the kids that eventually follow, right? The parenthood that generally follows the, the marriage where suddenly you instead of enjoying coffee, you're just braiding hair, packing lunches, and you're late. You're always late, to everything. Let me just say that right now. This is a part of the married experience and Paul says, I just want you to be aware of it. It's not a reason to avoid marriage entirely, right? He says, if you want to get married, get married. He says, but if you want to stay single, stay single. Because they're both good. They each have their own purpose. They each can be used by God to point people towards himself. So he says, for while you are single, while you're in the midst of this season, he says, this is what you can have. Counter to what marriage, counter to marriage creating that, that distraction and that division, he says, this is what singleness can create. He says, I, I'm saying this because I want you to recognize that you can, without distraction, give notable and constant service to the Lord. In other words, he's saying, look, I, I'm telling you single people that you have an opportunity you have a freedom to focus and serve in a way that you just can't when you're married. You just can't. Because you have an ability to move towards other people in a way that you just can't when you're married, when you have a spouse. And I'll tell you, this plays out in a lot of different ways. You, you, it is so much easier to demand service in marriage than in any other relationship. It is easier to become, I would argue, it's easier to become almost more self-centered in a marriage than it would be outside of one. Because the reality is that when you have friendships, right, when you have a community of people that you know and love, this kind of platonic love, it, you don't sit down with your friends and tell them, hey, you guys just aren't meeting my needs the way that you should, right? You don't go to weekend conferences about how to pursue each other like you used to when you were young roommates. You know, like that's not, that's not a thing. I hope it's not a thing. I don't know. But that shouldn't be a thing. We don't have that innate desire. And yet there's something that switches in our minds when we get married and we think, no, this person needs to like complete me. And you can become self-focused and you become self-absorbed in a way that you weren't even remotely as a single person. Paul says, I want you to recognize that as singleness, man, or in singleness, you have an opportunity. You have a freedom 
that you just don't have when you're married. Marriage is good, but singleness is also good. They can both be used by God to point people to himself. Instead of using singleness to idolize self-satisfaction as the ultimate good, he's saying you can use singleness to focus on people, to focus on others. You can train yourself in singleness to move towards other people, towards friends. You have an opportunity to make friends right now. That's amazing. Let me tell you, it's amazing. I took it for granted. But now as a, as a husband, as a father, as almost a double father, I will tell you that if I try to make a friend, if I'm like meeting a guy and we're just like hitting it off, we're just, it's great. And I'm like, hey, we should hang out, right? We both are, maybe we're both married. We both have like a kid or two. I say, we, we should hang out. Well, man, what, when can we do that? Uh, um, okay, October. How about October? Like that's, it's gonna take a while, I don't have a lot of margin. I don't have a lot of discretionary time in my schedule right now. It's just the season that I'm in. And yet you have an opportunity to meet a classmate or a lab partner or a work partner, whoever it might be. And you have an opportunity to move towards these people and build relationships in ways that you just can't in other contexts. Not only that, not only do you have an opportunity to move towards people that are right around you, you have an opportunity to move towards people that are very far away. That's why we as a ministry, we always keep missions in front of all of us. We wanna make sure that we always have our eyes to the nations, our eyes on the great commission that God has given us to move and go and make disciples, to go to every tribe and tongue and nation because we know that you have margin, you have freedom right now to go to places where the gospel needs to go forth, where the gospel is not being heard in East Asia or North Africa or in Southern Europe. Man, we wanna go to those places because we have the ability, we have the freedom, we have the gift of singleness to go and move towards those people. Paul says, I I want you to not only be able to focus on people, but singleness, instead of using it to idolize marriage, instead of seeing it as this kind of future solution to all my problems, singleness can be used to focus on your true purpose. If you are so focused on your own needs, they're like, man, this thing's gonna solve it. And I'm telling you, it's not. One of the best ways to break yourself of that is to use your singleness to serve other needs, to serve other people's needs, other people's real, felt, immediate needs. You can serve within our ministry. If you have 30 minutes on a Sunday morning, you can serve in this ministry. You can be a part of our street team that that helps people find a place here at Grace. You can be a part of our crew team that makes this room a, a place where people can worship. They're just setting the stage. They're setting the altar for the rest of us to stand and know our God. You can be part of our connect team that's designed to pull people into the community, the body of Christ. 30 minutes on a Sunday, you can be a part of that. You can look outside of our walls. You can be involved in our youth ministry where we have young men, young women at turning points in their lives, at crossroads in their lives, at pivotal moments in their lives where they're making decisions and they're they're making thought processes and they're setting their trajectory and you can step into that and you can share with them truth and love about what God has in store for them. It changed my life. The youth leaders that I had, a lot of us, that's our story. And you can be that. Their high school kids live here in College Station. It's amazing. <laughs> it's incredible. I was one of them. And when I told people at Fresh Camp and Impact, yeah, I actually, I grew up here. I went to high school at a Consolidated High School. They're like, what? <laughs> but like, uh, they didn't understand it. It's true. And you can step into that. You can be a part of God's plan to 
alter the eternal trajectories of kids' lives. It's hard, but it is incredible the impact that you can have. Whereas with youth kids, man, you could go younger. We are Awana's ministry. You've got a couple hours on Sunday nights. Three and four-year-olds in Awana's right now. I got an email this week. They're in desperate need of leaders. Sunday nights right here. And I, I don't know what needs you're seeing. Maybe they're not here, Grace. Maybe they're in, uh, uh, it's a roommate or a family member or a friend or a lab partner, someone you just thought of right now. But Paul says you can use your singleness to move towards those needs, to serve in those capacities. He says, because ultimately, man, our focus shouldn't be on the relationship that we have with some person. The focus of our, our mind, the focus of our eyes, we look ahead we look to Revelation 19, where John heard a, a voice of a vast throng, like the roar of many waters, like loud crashes of thunder, and they were shouting, hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the all-powerful reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him glory, because the wedding celebration of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready, and she was permitted to be dressed in bright, clean, fine linen. John says, this is the day we're looking to. This is the day that we await. This is the marriage feast that should get us all excited. It's not that one where we're gonna have that cool cake where like there's not icing on the sides and like, what? Like that's not what we're looking for. We are looking to this wedding celebration, the marriage supper of the lamb. When every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, that's the day that we look to. Regardless of our relationship status, we rejoice as a people who've been redeemed. Regardless of whether I'm single or dating or married, I look to that moment as my future solution. I don't see myself or marriage as the ultimate good. I see Jesus Christ on his throne. And I say, man, that's it. That is the good. That is the ultimate. That's what's gonna satisfy my soul. That's who we are. That's what defines us. And if you're not a part of that community, oh, please talk to me. Please talk to me. God has a gift of marriage for a lot of us. He has a gift of singleness for more of us at this moment. But before we focus on those gifts, I mean, we look to the giver of those gifts. We look to the God who loved us first, the God who died for us. And we say, Lord, I want to be used the way you want me to be used. I want to focus on this relationship above all else. So let's go to him and ask him that right now. God, we thank you that you've given us an opportunity, Lord, to, to know you, God, to be known by you. Lord, we just pray that we would be a people, God, that are, that are, are really giving you everything and nothing less, that, God, we are, we are sacrificing ourselves. Lord, we're taking up our cross, Lord, that we are seeing ourselves as a living and holy sacrifice for, for your glory. So if you would take a moment right now and just pray to the Lord, say, God, I want to be used by you. And ask him, God, say, bring to my mind, Lord, where is it that I could move? God, where is it that I could step into? Who are the people that I could move towards, either here or abroad? God, who, what are the needs that I could serve and move into? Whether it's at grace, it's outside of grace. God, show me what are the next steps. God, give my, make my feet move to that place. Lord, don't let me lose this passion, this, this sight for what you have for me. Ask him those things right now.
Hello, and welcome to the Grace College Podcast. My name is Kevin Barra. And I'm Jacob Smith. And we are just glad for you to join us as we basically look back on our sermons and we, we take a little bit of time to dig deeper into what was being taught, but then also look forward at, at what's coming up in our ministry. Uh, man, we are now two weeks into our relationship series. Two weeks in. And it has been a blast. Yes, it has. Uh, we got to talk on singleness specifically yesterday. Uh, and man, it was fun. It was, we didn't really know what to expect, you know, honestly. Yeah, when you talk to a bunch of college students about dating, you know they're going to be excited. But when you take that turn and talk to them <laughs> about single living, uh, it's a. It's a different response. Yeah, it's, di- <laughs> it's different. Yeah, one of the traditions in, in Aggieland is to say howdy um, or whoop at things. And uh, we did get many of those when we <laughs> talked about singleness. Not a lot of they whoops. In- internal, internal whooping. <laughs> yeah, I bet. Uh, they were just, they were so excited they couldn't even put it, they couldn't even bring it to No, whoop to means it's awesome. And, uh, and yeah. so I, I said, are we, got singles in the room and I got a. Well, okay. Yeah. <laughs> From two of them. Yeah, we uh it's interesting because we had I, we know we know for a fact after doing a survey that our students were gracious enough to be, you know, respond to honestly a week mm-hmm. ago. I mean, it was it was really cool. I found out I can't remember what your statistic was. I know that at Anderson we were 70% single. Um Yeah. That or almost 70%. So just yeah, we're, just we're over two thirds of our room, mm-hmm. of my room at least, and I think you were about the same. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was mm-hmm. single, so it, it hit a lot of people where they're at. Right. Um, but it's it, it's it's a powerful season, is basically what we were trying to unpack. It's trying right. in looking at first Corinthians 7, we were trying to say, Look, like this is a good thing, right. uh, regardless of maybe what society is saying about either singleness being the worst or even society's over push to say singleness is actually better than marriage, right. um, what we find in Scripture is that there does there's not one that's necessarily objectively better, right. that marriage is good, absolutely, it's a gift from the Lord, but so is singleness. It's mm-hmm. good. It's a gift from the Lord. It was adopted by Paul. It was adopted by Jesus Christ himself. Right. Uh, it's, it's a lifestyle that, as we saw, as we saw in 1 Corinthians 7, it, it, it allows, it, it more easily creates a lifestyle that is focused, Mm. On the Lord and His purposes, you're not necessarily as divided right. um, as someone who's married. So, well, one uh, of the great things about even talking with some students afterward is they, uh, for them, the ones that I've spoken to, they had never really heard from uh, the stage in, in a church an affirming of the single life, and it was fun to be able to actually affirm that to say this is this is not a bad thing. It is God honoring to have a season of singleness, and that season may be. Uh, into your twenties, or it may be well beyond that into your, into stretching into your entire life. And so basically to affirm that as a, a good God given gift to you is actually a a fun thing to be able to, to celebrate among our singles. And as you said, Jacob, Paul was single, Jesus was single. Uh, we, we come from a faith that affirms all, you know, no matter how God has ordained it for you to spend that time well. Yeah. And one of the things I think that you get to see in, First Corinthians 7, that we were able to basically unpack is, yeah, well, you have this opportunity to be wholly dedicated to right. the Lord's service. Uh, and so when we are looking at students in particular, as we're looking at our context of college students, 18 to 22-year-olds, uh, the majority of whom are single right now, right. Uh, we basically were trying to break down, okay, well, here's areas where you 
can use this gift. Here's area, here's the ways that you can leverage your current stat, your current relational status, uh, to point people towards the Lord. And one of the the first ones that came to our minds uh, was just serving. You know, it's I mean, it's the verb that's being used in the passage, which kind of gave it away. But but it's also just the reality is that we live in the midst of if we're so focused on our needs and serving ourselves in the midst of singleness, as maybe some societies will tell us to do. Uh, what we're doing is we're missing out on the the real felt needs of people around us. So serving forces you out of that kind of inward-focused prison, and you get to see, man, I have an opportunity to get involved. Hmm. I have an opportunity to to meet needs, to to serve people that are younger than me, serve my peers, serve people that are older than me. You know, like there's a lot of opportunities to basically get out there, get involved, and, and give of your time and energy. Use that freedom that you have for the Lord's purposes. Yeah. Yeah, the second thing that we, as we were talking about, what are the benefits of singleness? The second area we would encourage you to do in your single life is is to stretch yourself. Um, not only serve, but to stretch. It During this time, especially in college, is a unique time when you have summers off, and yeah. those don't stick around forever. You're going to get a real job, and you'll get two weeks a year, and the opportunity to stretch yourself, to go on a mission trip uh, for six weeks over the summer, to... Uh, serve at a, a a camp for the entire summer, yeah. or to just pick up and and go where there's a a need, are actually a lot thinner when you have a a full time job and if and when you you have a family. Mm-hmm. And so the next thing we would tell you to do is not only serve, but secondly stretch yourself, mm-hmm. go outside of your con- comfort zone and explore opportunities that are going to be unique to you as a single. Yeah, and ultimately. We want to make sure that all of these things, you know, in this season are, are helping us seek the Lord, right? We want to grow in our knowledge of the Lord. We want to be basically growing deeply in that devotion uh, to know him, to know his word, to, uh, to, to see his impact on our lives, to reflect on the things that he's done. Uh, man, it's, it's easy in marriage. I talked about this a little bit yesterday, but it's easy in marriage to almost become even more self-focused even with that companion, because you think, hey, you need to be serving me, you need to be, you know, helping me grow and all, you know, all these things. And, mm-hmm. and we have, you know, weekends about pursuing each other like you used to. I mean, and that's, <laughs> and it's good. And that's a legitimate responsibility that God has given to husbands and wives. But, but man, in that time of singleness, you are you know, essentially dating Jesus. Right. <laughs> even as I hate to say that. It is the you, worst statement you, you could say. But yes, <laughs> you have you have the opportunity. I mean, honestly, to you have to be singly devoted to yeah. to Christ. Yeah. And you know, I was I was talking to Jacob earlier and you know, one of the great opportunities I had during my single seasoning, especially in college, was to study a lot of theology, to, right. to grow more deeply, read books that that I had some bandwidth to that uh, I don't now when I have got when I've got four kids at home. So there's yeah. the, the bandwidth closes. And so to use that opportunity to, to really seek the Lord and grow deeply. So. Absolutely. So speaking of stretching and serving and seeking, man, we've got some opportunities right here. Boom. Some ways to use that singleness, if that is you. Yes. Uh, well, we, and even, you know, if you are in a relationship, I mean, you know, even if you're married, you're still called to serve the Lord. You still can. It's not impossible. <laughs> Paul is just pointing out it's a little bit more difficult. Right. Um, but in the freedom that you have, we have always had at the forefront of our ministry vision for the nations. We, we want to really own the Great Commission to go forth, to go to all people, all tribes, all tongues, all nations. We want to go and take the gospel where it's not always shared and sure. we want to share it. And so uh, we have summer trips coming up and the applications for them are due on February 10th. 
February 10th. And, and so if you have never been on yeah. a summer project and been with been with us to go serve overseas, sharing the gospel with college students overseas, this is a tremendous <coughs> opportunity. We strongly <coughs> encourage you to jump in with us, join us on this. February 10th, we go to a variety of locations. Mm-hmm. You can check those out at www.grace-bible.org. Yeah. And strongly encourage you to, to check those out. Information on the times, the dates, all that stuff. It's the first half of the summer. Right. You're back in time for session two um, and camps and things like that. So uh, we also have a really great opportunity. Something that we both know and love is our fellows program. Right. Uh, essentially, it's an opportunity for college graduates. Uh, once, you, once you're out of school and you're kind of moving into a full-time vocation, uh, we want to have an opportunity, we make an opportunity for students to come in uh, and see what does it look like to work in a church? Mm-hmm. What what would a vocational ministry lifestyle look like? Yeah. And so it's a two-year process where there's uh, training and equipping, there's exposure to a lot of just what it looks like to work in ministry and go on, lead mission trips and, and lead organizational, you know, events and things like that. Um, But we, it's something that we know and love. It's something that we've had, I mean, over a hundred people have gone through it over the past few years. And uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's really a cool opportunity just to kind of get your feet wet and and get exposed to a lot of what, how God could use you uh, in that context. So the applications for that are also due in February, closer to the end of February. Uh, But again, more information about that's on our website, uh, grace-bible.org. So, yeah. Hopefully you look look at those things. Thank you so much for joining us on the Grace College podcast and our dating series in particular. Hope you have a great week. Absolutely.